The Deep Dive with Nick Baby. Welcome to the Deep Dive Podcast with Nick Babel. I'm your host, Nick Babel. Um, today on the podcast, doing something a little bit different. Going to do a solo version of the podcast. No interview. Um, this was a planned one. Uh, I wanted to, I thought it was important at least um, <clears throat> to up front to kind of you know, now that I got some episodes going to kind of talk about how I got into this and, um, you know, what the last year has been like for me. Um, so I guess, you know, um, it pretty much starts out. I have a job now where I'm in my car a lot. Uh, so after a while, you know, listening to music's fun. But, you know, I decided, I don't know how I heard about podcasts, but I decided I wanted to check something else out, you know, other than just music. Uh, I think probably one of the first podcasts that I got into was uh, the Bill Simmons podcast, uh, you know, a sports podcast. He's a guy that, even though he's a Boston guy and I'm a New York guy, I've read his stuff all the way back to, you know, early days and just a fan of his and stuff. And it's a podcast I still listen to today. So, uh, and then, you know, as you go, you pick up more podcasts here and there. And then podcasts started getting bigger and bigger. Um, And uh, I don't know, at one point I decided, you know, I could do this, you know, I have a background, um, I have a degree in broadcast journalism, Um, you know, I never, I never really worked on the broadcasting part of it, after school, I did more of the writing side of it, but, uh, you know, I have opinions, and I have you know, I have stuff to say. So, uh, so I decided, you know, I'm going to start a podcast. Well, you know, you would think, I think the first episode I did of this was in March. You would think I decided in, you know, January, February. No, I, I decided to start a podcast like probably 2019 sometime um but you know how life goes you know you put it off you put it off um i think a little around christmas time or no actually even before sometime in 2020 i bought you know a microphone for it i thought that would kind of give me the kick in the butt i needed to you know, start actually following through and doing it. But the mic sat in a box for, you know, six plus months. So it didn't really work. Um, So I guess fast forward from 2019, um, 
to the pandemic, March 2020. Um, as everybody knows, you know, everybody knows how it went. Stuff, you know, started shutting down, seemed like overnight. And, um, you know, people got affected in different ways. Um, you know, 2020 was probably, uh, it's hard to rank best and worst years of your life, you know, without really sitting down and thinking about it. But 2020 was probably one of the worst years of my life. Not the worst, but it was, it was pretty bad. So first off, I'll say <laughs> my biggest fear and you know, people that know me well enough have heard me say, say this well before 2020. My biggest fear is a global pandemic. It always it has been. Um, I probably blame Stephen King's The Stand, which is a great book um, and a really good miniseries they did in the 90s about it. And they just did another one, which wasn't that great. Um, but, you know, it's just always been, I don't know, it's just a thing that's always kind of scared me more than, than other things, because I always felt like it could be a reality, unlike, you know, monsters and stuff like that, or zombies or, you know, wild stuff like that. Um, so, you know, it starts out, that's uncomfortable. Then I'm worried about, you know, wearing masks because, you know, I don't know, just the breathing thing. And I get comfortable with that quicker than I thought I would. Um, and then I'm still working this whole time. Um, you know, at first it didn't slow down the work much. Um, and then I don't remember exactly what month, but eventually it did start really slowing the work down. Um, so I want to say July, maybe June, June, July. I didn't work a lot, you know, here and there sporadically. Um, and then you would think this is, that's a perfect time to start a podcast, you know, but again, I put it off and, you know, diddled around and just didn't do it. Um, then we hit October 2020. And by the end of October, um, my wife and I and my, my stepson, we get COVID. And uh, we were not the lucky many that got it that didn't get sick um we got really sick now my stepson didn't get too bad he, you know he was only sick like a day or two and then he just kind of had a lingering cough um but my wife and I were really sick um and she was even sicker than I was but it sucked and you know I'm not going to go into all the specifics with it but you know, there was, there was like a two day span in there where, you know, I was really thinking about 
you know, my wife's mortality, my mortality, you know, are we going to be hospitalized? It was pretty close. There was one morning we were, you know, we were talking about getting in the car and driving somewhere. And uh, honestly, just the sickness and the exhaustion from COVID was what stopped us from actually going anywhere to, you know, going to the hospital. So, but thankfully that was kind of the bottom of the, the sick curb with it. And then we started slowly, slowly, slowly getting better. And so it was a process. Um, so that was terrible and terrifying. And, um, you know, I think, you know, that took basically, you know, they tell you two weeks, but that's, that's really bullshit unless you don't get sick with it. It was more like a month easily. I mean, I went to, I ended up going back to work like 16 days after, um, but I was still not fully, you know, I didn't have COVID anymore, but it turned into an infection and stuff. But I'm getting off off track here with it. Um, so that ate up the end of October and most of November. Um, December comes around. Uh, you know, I'm just feeling more and more like, uh, I guess for lack of a better word, depressed. Um, and... Um, you know, I I had had these things, and I I didn't realize what it was. I and I, it was for years. Um, I'd have nights where I just lay in bed and I couldn't sleep, and I would just uh, you know, um, you know, nothing could could do it. I, you know, sometimes I just get up the next day and, you know, go to work or do whatever on like one or two hours sleep. Now it wasn't all the time. It was really sporadic. Um, but once, you know, 2020 happened, it was starting to happen to me, like, you know, a weekly thing. And it used to be a once every two or three, you know, three, three to five month thing really. And then it just, with everything it got you know it got to be like really bad and um so I don't know how exactly I put two and two together but um I kind of realized at some point that it was anxiety um so I, w- I went to my doctor and I talked to her about my symptoms and she started listing off things that I didn't even mention to her that were symptoms of it. And I was like, Oh yeah, definitely. Like, Oh yeah. So she's like, yeah, you have an anxiety disorder. I'm like, you know, I've never, I've never, you know, had any problems with that stuff before. Um, And I've, you know, I'd considered therapy a little bit here and there, but, you know, I've always kind of been everybody else's therapist. You know, I'm the guy 
you know, people talk to about their problems. And um, I always just <clears throat> kind of thought that I had too, you know, I have a level head and I don't need that stuff. And, you know, just thinking about it incorrectly and you know, maybe a male bravado kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I find out I have this anxiety disorder. I decide, you know, I'm going to try online therapy. Um, that's what more and more people were doing. So I get into that in probably late December, um, early January. And, you know, um, been going once a week ever since. And it's uh, it's been really good. You know, I've learned a lot of stuff um, about me. And I think, you know, the first session I told the therapist, uh, you know, you know, I'm like, ah, you know, I didn't know what to think about with going to therapy or not. Um, because, you know, I'm kind of always been the guy that that's everybody else's go-to therapist kind of guy. And he said, uh, he goes, Oh, you know, those, the, that type of people are the people that need therapy the most. And I was like, really? And, uh, he said, yeah, you know, you know, you're taking on other people's problems and, you know, that can distract, you know, that can distract you for a while, but when it comes down to it, you know, it's, you got your own thoughts and it problems and neurosis and anxiety disorder, you know? So, um, the doctors put me on, uh, this one type of medicine for it. Um, and, you know, I guess my bad luck, I ended up getting every bad side effect off it. And it, um, like ones that were kind of rare to even get on it, but like it was listed side effects. So that sucked. And there was like a, it was actually right around New Year's because I know New Year's Eve, I was trying to watch the Twilight Zone marathon and I'm just having an anxiety attack for like five hours straight. And it was like a three or four day span of just almost a constant anxiety attack until they said, Hey, stop taking that medication. That's really, it's giving you anxiety. Um, so they put me on something else and um, it, it's more of a hardcore. I don't want to get into it, but like an antihistamine type thing, but it helps me sleep. And um, since I've been on that, um, I may have had, I don't know, and what now it's May, you know, in five months, I may have had two nights where I had a little trouble sleeping. Funnily enough, last night was one of them, but um, not sure what that was about. But for the most part, it's uh, really worked and you know, help me sleep. So all that to say, um, I did the therapy and, um, you know, as part of doing the therapy, I realized I was, uh, 
putting stuff off, you know, that, um, you know, would help me out. And one of the things I was doing was not doing was the podcast. So I decided, well, you know, there's nothing stopping you. Just fucking do it, you know. So I got a hold of my friend, Mike Sappho, um, who did the first podcast episode with me. And he's produced, you know, he produced a pretty big podcast, the the Opie Radio podcast. Um, so, you know, and he'd been talking to me and encouraging me to do a podcast, you know, for a while. So I hit him up as the first guest and, uh, man, it's just been flying ever since. Um, I've a couple of guests have requested to be on and, um, you know, uh, last week or the week before the podcast got up to like number 72 on Apple's top 200, uh, interview podcast. Um, I mean, that's, that seems pretty crazy to me. You know, I, I don't have backing from anybody or I'm doing, you know, all the promotion and, and everything for this. And, you know, friends have been helping out here and there, but, um, so really proud about that. Proud about how the podcast is going. Um, you know, when I first started it, I envisioned, um, more of a specific podcast, more of like, uh, that I was going to interview, um, actors, like, you know, um, character actors and actors that have done, you know, background roles and stuff. And, um, it's kind of broadened more into interviewing people in the entertainment industry, um, you know, people with interesting jobs and, um, you know, an occasional interesting topic here and there. So that's probably where we're going more in the future. Um, of course, I'm going to try to get, you know, as many cool people on to interview as possible. Um, I got some people in the pipeline right now. Um, not going to give anything away. Nothing's booked exactly yet, but I'm definitely going to, you know, have some interesting episodes and I just want to keep picking up an audience and, uh, you know, I'm really, you know, to kind of tie up this whole beginning part <clears throat> with the therapy is, um, this podcast has been very therapeutic, uh, for me. Um, you know, just being able to focus on something else other than, you know, you know, my anxieties and stuff and, you know, family and work. Um, it's nice to have something else to do, you know, on downtime. Um, so now we're going to transition um, into the deep dive portion of the podcast. Um, so anybody that's listened regularly, uh, knows that this part of the podcast, um, there's a topic that I go over usually with the person I'm interviewing, um, that kind of fits the person, uh, something that they either work in or that they know about. 
So for my solo podcast episode, which I'm going to do these once in a while too. I'm not going to try to do it too much, but, you know, every so often probably going to drop a solo one on you and, you know, let me know what you think about that. Um, So this topic for this deep dive is my list of the 10 best grunge rock albums. Now, here's some, you know, get some stuff out of the way at the beginning. This is my list. Obviously, you know, music is subjective and whatever, but um, I'm a pretty, you know, I've been listening to this stuff for a long time and a lot of different artists and stuff. So I'm pretty knowledgeable on it. And I do want to say though, that there's no, I didn't go deep. I'm not, I'm not picking like, you know, screaming trees or mud honey or, you know, some, uh, you know, the toadies or some, kind of more obscure grungish bands that you know there's a reason say what you want i mean they have their fans some of their music i think is really good you know any of those bands but there's a reason they didn't blow up and you know and this is the, the albums 10 best grunge rock albums not bands so um and as I go through the list, you know, there's some ones where people can go, oh, is that really a grunge album? Uh, blah, blah, blah. Is that, uh, what the thing people don't get, you know, let me explain this to you. Grunge isn't just, it's not just Nirvana. It's, um, grunge is, and I think the, the reason it por- it's important I know a lot of people hate the term grunge, but I think the reason that it's an important term is because grunge was more than just hard rock or metal or um, melodic rock or alternative rock. It's all that stuff. Um, There's a little jazz to it. There's a little, you know, Grunge albums have a lot of different sounds to them, and and that's the cool thing about it, you know, to me anyways. So here we go. Top 10 best grunge rock albums, deep dive. Ah, number 10, The Foo Fighters with their 1997 album, color and the shape now there's a couple other big albums by the Foo Fighters obviously um and some people rank them higher than this and some people even think it's kind of tough to put Foo Fighters into the grunge albums thing too but 97 is still 97 and um obviously Dave Grohl was in the biggest grunge band ever anyways and the these even though the foo fighters i would say is more of the upbeat grunge <clears throat> style it's still 
it still fits the genre in my opinion. Um, so color in the shape, 1997. Um, the big hits on this album were Monkey Wrench, My Hero, um, and Everlong. Now, I think the first song I ever heard by Foo Fighters was Monkey Wrench. Um, still one of my, you know, it still hits my playlist. It's probably one of my favorite songs by them. Um, my Hero is a really good song, you know. Um, positive, good, you know, good tune. Um, and Everlong is probably, probably their biggest hit. Um, just a classic album. Uh, the reason it hit 10 and not, not higher was because it just didn't have enough, you know, known songs on it. The rest of the album. Is probably pretty solid, but I haven't really deep dive onto this album, you know, other than the than the kind of the big hits on it. Um, and I looked at some of their al other albums, <clears throat> and it was very similar for me, where there was two or three songs on them that I liked, and then it was a lot of stuff I never listened to. Um, but this one had probably the three that you know are my were solid enough where I put it on the list. Um, and, you know, Foo Fighters are still banging out albums. <clears throat> I think they just put out one this past year. Um, and Dave Grohl went from the young, scrawny drummer of Nirvana to the front man of, you know, a band that arguably, you know, they sold probably just as many albums as Nirvana did, just with the amount they've put out. I mean, don't quote me on that, but I would think so. Ah. So, moving on, the number nine album on my list is Stone Temple Pilots' 1994 album, Purple. Now, um, two quantifications on this one. Um, I know a lot of people, <clears throat> excuse me. I know a lot of people like to put Core out as the best Stone Temple Pilots album. Um, I know Core came first and it was their breakthrough album, but I think Purple is uh, just, it's a more polished album. Um, it's the better songs or better songs. Um, it has a lot of, you know, big hits on it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Vaseline, which is one of my favorite um, Stone Temple Pilot songs. Uh, Interstate Love Song, Pretty Penny. Um you know, I think those are the main hits on the album. Um, but there's also, you know, some deeper cuts that I, I put in the STP classics. Um, and those songs are Silver Gun Superman and Still Remains. Um, both just really good songs, you know, that I have. I keep them both on my playlist. Um, and, you know, I... Stone Temple Pilots got a lot of shit 
I guess when they came out that people thought they were trying to rip off Pearl Jam or, or something. But I think history has kind of shown that they put out enough solid stuff that they weren't just a, they weren't a copycat band that, you know, put out like a one record that, <clears throat> that had a couple hits on it. And then they put out like a solid four or five albums that had big hits on them. And, you know, like most of these bands, they're obviously not around. Um, Scott Weiland passed away a few years ago. Um, their lead singer, you know, real troubled guy, um, like a lot of these guys, but um, he, and then it kind of, <clears throat> it's kind of a nice segue because there's two bands that I could have put on this list that I didn't because I just thought they were more post grunge than grunge. Um, and that was the, the Scott Weiland um, fronted band um, Velvet Revolver and the Chris Cornell fronted band Audio Slave. Now, killer bands, both of them. Um, you know, Scott Weiland was with the Guns N' Roses guys, and that was, you know, that became Velvet Revolver. And Chris Cornell, of course, was with the Rage Against the Machine guys, and that was Audio Slave. But I think those albums came out, they were just post-grunge to me. Um, but I think either of those bands could have had an album on my list if, if they fit. But they just, it was too out of bounds for me. So um, moving on to number eight on my list. And this might be the most, one of the most controversial on the list. Um, it's Jerry Cantrell's second solo album that, you know, Jerry Cantrell, the guitar player from Alice in Chains. It's Degradation Trip, Volume 1 and 2, came out in 2002. Now, I know I just said some other stuff was post-grunge, and people could argue that this is post-grunge, but my argument would be that this is probably the last grunge album. Um, if you listen to it, it was Cantrell was is he's even come out and said he was the most fucked up he'd been in his life when he recorded this album, um, drinking and doing drugs. And um, the album actually came out a few months after Lane Staley died, uh, the Allison Chains lead singer. So, but you know the album is is a killer. Um, the biggest and. And another reason why, why I could put it on the list is Rolling Stone had it on their list of top 50 grunge albums. You know, so if it fits Rolling Stone's, you know, what they consider grunge, so I'm going to go with it. Um, and, uh, you know, more of a side personal note, this is, this album is probably in my top favorite you know, music albums of all time. So, you know, I love the album. Um, the singles off it were Anger Rising and Angel Eyes. And um, those aren't, you know, 
weird singles choices and I get it. You know, I think it was more of a record company thing. They weren't even two really good songs on the album, <clears throat> in my opinion. Um, the best songs on the album, just to name a few, were uh, Bargain Basement, Howard Hughes, um, Thirty One, Thirty Two, Castaway, um, and Spider Bite. And there was, you know, could go down the list. There's definitely more good songs on the album. First, they released a volume one. Um, and then, you know, sometime later they put out a second volume and the, it's just really good. It's, uh, you know, it's a total mood, the whole album. It's, it's dark, it's deep. It's, um, you know, it's the, the Jerry Cantrell thing where it's metal mixed with hard rock mixed with even a little country twang because he's from, uh, you know, He's originally from the South. So um, just a killer album. And I I think it's one that maybe a lot of people haven't listened to um, compared to the other albums on this list. So I would highly recommend diving in if you're a fan of this type of music. Um, all right. So moving on to number seven, um, Alice in Chains' Facelift. 1990. Now, I guess one other thing I didn't qualify before I made this list or before I started this was Alice in Chains is my favorite band in general. Um, so obviously they're my favorite grunge band. Um, but I still try to be fair with it. You know, personally, their self-titled album, I like <laughs> I like more than a lot of these albums I put on the list. But I didn't think it was fair um, just in, you know, how the album was received and, and stuff compared to these albums to fit it on the list. So I have Facelift here, 1990. Uh, the thing a lot of people don't realize is this album came out a full year before Nirvana's Nevermind came out that, you know, kind of blew up the genre. Um, this album, it's a, it's a total mix and it's a, you can see parts of, of how the band went after this, you know, it's got an eighties metal sound to it. Um, it's got some guns and roses, hard rock sound to it. Um, it's got, you know, it's, it's got the beginnings of the grunge sound to it too. You know, obviously, Man in the Box was the first big hit by them. Uh, we Die Young, you know, starts the album just crushing it. Um, the deep cuts on this album, Sunshine, I can't remember. Uh, and my personal favorite, Confusion, uh, which doesn't, you know, it's a real deep cut. Not a lot of, <clears throat> not a lot of Allison Chains fans talk about it but it's I think vocally it's one of it's in one of Lane Staley's top five you know just vocal masterpieces you know that's just my opinion some people would argue with that because it's it's kind of one of the 
tracks on the album that you know you can tell were maybe recorded more in the 80s than, than the 90s. Um, but I stand by it. And I definitely think that's an album that you know probably a lot of people have heard, but it might be one that people should check out and get into the deep tracks on. Um, <clears throat> all right, so moving right along, number six on this album or on this rankings, um, and this is probably also a controversial pick, but I'm going to defend it. It's uh, Blind Melon's 1992 album, Blind Melon. Now, I know Purists, and even that Rolling Stone list didn't have this on, on there. Um, but purists want to label this band as something else, you know, say they don't have place, you know, in grunge, um, and that they're somehow one-hit wonders, which is totally nonsense. Just because No Rain was such a big hit, I mean, it was, you could put that song up with any of these bands' biggest hits, and it was that big of a hit and I think there was some jealousy to that um but if you listen to this band's catalog and you know some of the different songs yeah you know like any of these bands there's some songs that are classic rock sounding there's some bluesy songs or some uh even kind of jazzy songs this band put out but it, it's a grunge era album. Um, the hits were obviously No Rain, uh, Change, and uh, Tones of Home. Um, but you know, check out check out the song Time, which is off of this album, Blind Melon, Blind Melon, and tell me that that's not a grunge song. I mean, people are fucking nuts with this stuff, but. This album, I totally go to bat for. It's a damn shame that this lead singer, Shannon, who, who um, again, controversial, was a better lead singer than a lot of these other grunge bands. You know, I don't have them ahead of Lane Staley or Chris Cornell, but I have them ahead of Eddie Vedder and um, Kurt Cobain as a singer. So, um, so they really only put out a couple albums with him because, you know, he overdosed, but while they were on tour, um, but this album is a killer. You know, I mentioned some of the songs and then there's Paper Scratchers, another good song on this album. Um, so <clears throat> I'll argue this album with anybody that, that has a problem with it being on the list um just a good band that didn't it just kind of was quickly up and then quickly flamed out just because of you know what happened with the lead singer but solid album and it definitely belongs in the top when you're talking about the top grunge albums in my opinion all right so keep counting down here Number five on the list, 
Um, I don't think this is controversial, but I think it's maybe its place on the list might be a little, some people, <clears throat> excuse me, some people might have it lower, but I, it's a fucking amazing album. It's um, Mad Seasons 1995 album Above, and this might be the most obscure album on this list, other than maybe the Cantrell album. So if if uh, you like this music and you haven't heard this album, it's a it's a must. So who what's who's Mad Season is what some people might want to know. It was a super group. Um, Mixing Allison Chain's lead singer Lane Staley, Pearl Jam's guitarist Mike McCready, and Screaming Trees drummer Barrett Martin, um, and another guy on bass that <clears throat> was a little more obscure, and um, had Mark Lanigan, the lead singer from Screaming Trees, uh, he sung on a couple of songs as well. Um, the big hit on this album was River of Deceit. Um, it was actually, I don't know where it got, but I think it was a top 40 hit, you know, it was the breakout song. And again, you know, some people, I'm not always this way, but some people feel like the big single is not the best song. And on this album, I don't think it's remotely the best song. Um, I like the self, the, the, um, the album title track above. I like, you know, I don't know anything. X-ray mind. The really sad um, song "Wake Up," which uh, this kind of seems like, you know, Lane Staley wrote it for. I mean, somebody. It was like somebody singing these lyrics to him about getting off of drugs and stuff. Um. So the album is just, it's grunge, it's jazz, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just, the whole album is something. It's, you know, I might even hit move it up on the list if, if I could get away with it. But I think the top four albums have to be what they are. Um, and you can argue the specific order, which I'm sure people will. But I have this at number five. Check it out if you've never listened to it. Um, just killer songs, the whole album. All right, so the top four. And let me start off by saying, when you're talking grunge, there is a top four. There's the, there's the four main grunge, band, grunge bands. Alice in Chains, Nirvana. Pearl Jam Soundgarden. Those are the main, those are the Mount Rushmore of grunge music. Um, so number four on my list is Pearl Jam's 1991 album, 10. Now, I'm sure some people, it's not controversial being on the list, but I'm sure some people would want other Pearl Jam albums up here. They're my least favorite of the top four. Um, I know that disappoints some people. A lot of people have them number one or number two for, the, you know, and that's a personal preference. But Pearl Jam's my least favorite. They were more, 
I always felt like Pearl Jam was more of the classic rock mix, which I don't mind. I like that stuff. Um, but they did maybe less of the metal hard rock stuff that some of the other bands did. <clears throat> and they, I, I never found them as, even though Nirvana wasn't necessarily metal hard rock, I felt like they were more unique um, than Pearl Jam. So I have 10, number four on the list. Um, it's a classic Pearl Jam album. You know, the hits were Alive, Even Flow, Jeremy. Um, and I give a special shout out to the song Black. It's a great song. Um, you know, it's just, <clears throat> you know, what can you say? If if this was Nick's 10 favorite grunge albums, this would be lower. I'm not going to lie, but I felt obligated to have them you know, in the top four, just because, you know, they're, they're probably the most, I don't want to say copied, but maybe influential band um, of the grunge bands, you know, I think going forward. I mean, I think they're all pretty, you know, a lot of people, you know, copy or, or like these bands or, or influential. Sorry, I couldn't think of the word. Um, but I think Pearl Jam, just their sound is probably the most influential to a lot of bands going forward. Um, so, yeah, I know it's not a ringing endorsement of this album. It's a good album. You know, I'll put some of these songs on sometimes. You know, Jeremy's, you know, it's about school shootings. So, Unfortunately, it's still a very topical song that fits, you know, it was a problem back in, you know, 91. <laughs> We're here in 2021 and it's still a major, even worse of a problem, you know. So, yeah, you know, I can't sell, <clears throat> I'm not going to sell this album to anybody, you know. If you're a Pearl Jam fan, you already know that, you know, you probably like some other Pro Jam albums better anyways, but I just think this is the template. This is the this is the one they kicked off with and it had some of their biggest hits on it. So there you go. So number three is Soundgarden's 1994 album, Super Unknown. Now I'll say this, Soundgarden is probably my second favorite. Um you know, band, but again, this isn't Nick's top 10 uh, grunge bands. This is top 10 best grunge rock albums. And I just, I felt like the other two albums were just bigger and better albums than this, but still great album. Um, again, this is one of those bands, they have so many albums, you know, kind of like Pearl Jam. I'm sure hardcore fans like other albums better. You know, good for you. But, you know, you can't argue that this album is a killer. Um, a lot of, just a lot of big tunes on it. Of course, their biggest hit, Black Hole Sun. You know, which still, that song still kicks. You know, it's still a good song. 
Um, but it had Spoonman, uh, one of my faves, The Day I Tried to Live, My Wave, Fell on Black Days, um, you know, a couple of deeper tracks. I really like Limo Rack um, and Fourth of July. Um, so it's a pretty deep album, you know, for good songs to me. Um, funny little piece of trivia that I know is the Metallica, when they were putting out their 1996 album, uh, Load, they, their, one of their first singles was the song Until It Sleeps. The original name of Until It Sleeps was supposed to be Fell on Black Days. Um, but then kind of as they were putting the album together, somebody realized, oh, shit, that's a, that's a Soundgarden song uh, already. So they switched it to Until It Sleeps. So it was a fun fact for somebody if they didn't know it already. But I digress. Um, so we're going to move on to number two. Nirvana's 1991 album, Nevermind. That's the name of the album, Nevermind. Now, personally, I like In Utero the best um, of Nirvana's albums. But this album is the album that sparked, you know, <clears throat> it sparked everything. It sparked the scene. It, it put a... It put Seattle on the map, you know, it just, it changed everything for everybody. Now you can say other stuff would have done that, maybe, but this is the album that did it. You know, the big hit, Smells Like Teen Spirit, you know, it's, I don't think it's held up as big as some of the other band's big hits, but it's a song. But it has really good songs, Come As You Are, In Bloom, Lithium. Um, I really like, you know, some deeper cuts on this album, On a Plane and Polly. They're both good songs. Nirvana um, is one of those bands where when I got into grunge a little bit, I was told that I'm supposed to hate Nirvana because they were the biggest band and I don't know. I don't know why I was supposed to hate them, but as I listened to them more, I realized, you know, <clears throat> why they, you know, became such a big band and, um, you know, they're definitely the most punk band of all these bands. You hear the punk stuff in it and his voice. He's not a great guitar player. Um, you know, that's where some of these you know, I mentioned Rolling Stone magazine. They they tried to put him as like, they put him in like the top 20 guitar players of all time or something like that. And it's fucking nonsense. I mean, he might have got better as he went along, but he was not a good guitar player. But he's a great frontman and a great lead singer. Now, is there a lot of other bands that had better vocal lead singers? Yeah, for sure. But he just fit this band. Um, just, you know, their sound, their feeling. This album was, a, you know, an awakening, you know, to a lot of people. Um, 
and it really, you know, it deserves its place in history. Um, so yeah, you know, if you're a fan of this genre, maybe you've skipped this album because you thought it was too mainstream or, or some dumb shit like that. You know, maybe I made that mistake early on. Um, but I, I would say go listen to it now, you know, as an older, more mature person um, and give it the proper respect it deserves. You know, like I said, I think In Utero is a more polished, you know, killer album than this one, but it just didn't have the, this is, you know, this is the big bang, you know, for the genre. So it's number two on my list. All right. So we're down to number one and, you know, People can say I'm biased, they can whatever, blah, blah, blah. The best grunge album of all time is Allison Chain's 1992 album, Dirt. It's a masterpiece. It's just a fucking masterpiece. The big hits, obviously, are Wood, Rooster, Down in a Hole, you know, other monster tracks, Them Bones, Angry Chair. You know, a lot of people don't realize songs five through 11, starting with Sick Man, ending with Hate to Feel, they're written as kind of like a man's journey uh, with heroin. You know, it's like six songs of just, you listen back to back and it's a guy going through the ups and downs and the the beginning ups and the mostly downs of, of a heroin addiction. So... You know, you don't get more grunge than that. Um, just, you know, there's songs that on this album that didn't even didn't even crack out as a single, or you know, aren't even thought of as like a big song, like "Sick Man" and uh, "Hate to Feel." Like I mentioned, both those songs. You listen to those; they're fucking killer songs. They're those songs are better than other people's singles. I mean, and there are deep cuts on this album. Um, I listen, I, you know, shout out to the YouTube channel Lost in Vegas. Um, It's two guys, um, two African-American guys that they like to, the, the channel's thing is that they listen to, you know, different genres, that they weren't into when they were younger, that they never listened to or never heard. Um, and they listen to the song and they react to it. And so they, uh, Allison Chains is one that they've gotten into. They, you know, they never heard like any of them. And they did a bunch of songs off of Dirt and they both are super impressed by it and couldn't believe, you know, and one of them said something like, you wish a band could have stayed in a mindset or stayed in a a certain time and just put out a hundred songs, you know, when they were in that pocket. And and this is that pocket, you know. Again, I really, really like the next, 
you know, Allison Chain's self-titled album, which was their last like full-length album <clears throat> with their original members, other than uh, Mike Starr. Um, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't hit everybody the same. It doesn't have the same impact as dirt or facelifts. So, um, so I have it number one. Yes, I have biases. They're my favorite band. Wayne's Daily's my favorite singer. But not, you know, not a lot of people are gonna argue. You know, a lot of, you you go to any of those lists and dirt's always in the top three, four of on anybody's list for this. So I have it number one. You know, people can argue, you know, and and do all that and stuff, but um, you know, it's definitely an album where you know it has a nice mix of big hits that you can listen to over and over. But then it just has a feel to it too, so you can listen to it as an album. Um, it's just you know, it's a masterpiece. So, all right, so that was my top ten list of the best grunge albums. Um, you know, feel free to comment and uh, tell me I'm a, a moron and I left this album out or you know, fuck this album, it shouldn't have made it there, this band's not grunge, or whatever, you know, whatever, you know, I'm definitely looking for some, some feedback and stuff, if, if you get a chance, and, um, totally welcome it, so, uh, I want to thank my guest, Nick Babel, <laughs> you know, um, I ran my mouth for how many ever minutes this comes out to, and, uh, I'm going to do that every once in a while, so, um, Thanks again, and I will see you all later.